Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day, people of God, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. God loves to hear the sounds that come forth in our speech. He loves to hear the praise of His people. He loves to hear songs sung from true hearts of love for Him. Amen? That's why we come into His presence. But we can't fool God if that's not really where our hearts are, right? He knows. The Bible says He knows our very thoughts. Remember what God said about Israel when they praised God with their mouths, but with their hearts they were far from Him. May God give us pure hearts today filled with love for God and may pure words of love and praise flow from our mouths today. God is calling us to worship Him from Psalm chapter 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer, and unto thee will I look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, and thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak lissing and The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouths. Their inward parts is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher, and they flatter with the tongue. Destroy them, O God, and let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice, and let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For the Lord, thou, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor, and will compass him about with a shield. Amen. Can we say thanks be to God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have called your people into your presence today to worship you. And we come today knowing that we are sinners and that we need your forgiveness and knowing that you indeed are willing and able to forgive us. We come before you hungering and thirsting after righteousness, knowing that you will give us food from heaven. And Lord, we pray today that you would change us, that you would make us more like you. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. standing for just a few more moments as I read for you my text. My sermon today is called Flattery Will Get You Somewhere. My text is Psalm chapter 12. We are preaching through the book of Psalms and we're on chapter 12 right now. And one wonderful thing about preaching through the scriptures as we do uh, verse by verse is that we end up covering everything the Bible covers. And so God's Word has its own messages. We could 
try to come up with the messages that we think are appropriate or we can walk through the scriptures and as God's word comes to a subject we just preach about it so that's what we're doing here today text uh, is Psalm 12 starting in verse 1 to the chief musician upon Shemineth a psalm of David help Lord for the godly man ceaseth for the faithful fail from among the children of men they speak vanity every one with his neighbor and with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things who have said with our tongue we will prevail our lips are our own who is Lord over us for the oppression of the poor for the sighing of the needy now will I arise saith the Lord and I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times thou shalt keep them O Lord for thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever the wicked shall walk on every side when the vilest man are exalted let us pray Heavenly Father we come to you longing to hear your voice and you have spoken to us as your Holy Spirit inspired David to write these words in Psalm 12 may we hear what this song was meant to convey and may we remember it and may our hearts and minds uh, be conformed into your image today may we look into your word and see ourselves for who we are and ask you to change us so that we might become like you in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said amen, amen. you may be seated You may even have a Bible that didn't include some of the words that I read here because some of the Bibles have gone to not including these words at the beginning of the Psalms that are inspired of God and they are written and they are part of the text. Some people think that they're subheading put in there by translators, but they're not. So when we come and we say verse 1, it has in brackets here to the chief musician upon Shemineth a Psalm of David. There are uh, Bible programs that I've used and they're not even included at all but do we take away even one word of God not a word not a letter not a mark every jot and every tittle so to the chief musician helps us to remember that this psalm was meant to be sung and that it was to be directed by the choir director in public temple worship it reminds us that we when we come together as the people of God what should we do we should sing we should lift up our voices in song and so God has given us words to sing I grew up in a church and we had great music we had we had incredible music we had drum cages and bass guitars and electric guitars and choir uh, hundreds of people and it was fantastic um, but we never sang the songs and when God gives you a book of the Bible that is the songbook of the church, what do you think we should do with it, guys? We should probably sing it, right? And so growing up, we didn't really sing a lot of the psalms, uh, but we do now. And so if you're here, maybe you're not used to that. Maybe some of our songs seem a little strange. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get into God's Word, and we're trying to sing what God has said that we should sing. So he mentions that it is upon Shemineth. And Shemineth is a word that denotes a certain sound or a mood. And Shemineth is the lowest tones that a male's voice can sing. And um, there is some debate about this. Maybe it could be meaning something else, but most people agree that's what it is. And so what this sort of denotes for us is that this song had sort of a sinister, sort of a serious, sort of a somber tone to the song and as you find as the as we go through the psalm you can hear it as he begins to say what he says he begins to say things that are really kind of sad he, and I'm not going to be trying to do his exact words but you can almost hear him when he's like there's nobody left but me I'm all alone in the world and there are no faithful it is me and me alone kind of like that you know now that I'm not trying to transliterate the scripture here. I'm just trying to give you the idea that there's a sadness. Sometimes that we sing sad songs, right? Sometimes it's appropriate when we're mourning to sing a sad song. In fact, the Bible says to try to sing a happy song when we're mourning is actually painful. 
And so sometimes it's appropriate to hear the dark sound of the song that is indeed sung to uh, have the effect of seriousness of, uh, uh, of the, the low tones bring this out. Once again, we're reminded in this opening part that this is yet again one of the 73 uh, ascribed psalms that David, David's hand wrote. And one of the neat things that this has allowed us to do is look for times in David's life when he experienced these things. Will it be hard to imagine which, that there were times in David's life he felt alone? When he felt he might be the only one left? When Israel... Uh, and is running after Absalom I'm sure he felt very alone when Saul is chasing him around and he's hiding in the caves of En Gedi I'm sure he felt very much alone when he saw the children of Israel forsaking God and turning after false gods I'm sure he felt alone you can almost hear the sad and sinister tones of the song here as his soul cries out in desperation Lord there's no one left but me Here's what he says, help Lord for the godly ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Where are all the good and righteous? I look around and it seems they're all gone. He seems to say, it's hopeless, there's no one but me. You know, it can be easy to feel this way, but you should know that you're flattering yourself when you say this. You're not the only one. Do you know God preserves a people, amen? That God has people who are serving Him, you know. But sometimes when we are feeling sad or when we're having difficulties, we like to think in a flattering way, you know, we're the only ones left. We're, we're the only ones that really love God. If you, if you have that frame of mind, then you probably are listening to your own flattering words. When I read this psalm for the first time, I prepared to teach on it. The first thing that came to mind was that this is what the psalm was going to be about. It was going to be about uh, the feeling of loneliness. And, and, uh, and so I came to this uh, story of Elijah and I read it. Here by faith, we know that Elijah had just done the most amazing thing he would ever do in his whole life, anything that he had ever seen. He had prayed that it wouldn't rain and, and it didn't rain for three years. Now that's a long time. In fact, there are people who might say, he prayed that it would rain. It didn't rain for three years. How mean is that? I mean, everybody in the whole country is suffering. Well, the people in the country were worshiping Baal. And guess what Baal was? Guess what they believed he was? He was the God of rain. He was the God that brought the rain and, and brought the goodness to the land. And so when they began to worship Baal, uh, Elijah was like, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go ahead and see if Baal can make it rain? Because I'm going to pray that my God will make it not rain. And we know that it didn't rain. It didn't rain for three years. Israel had not done as God had told them and cast out the other nations of Canaan. Baal was the chief of the Canaanites' pantheon of false gods. He was the God of the rain and the dew. And they believed he controlled it all. And Elijah wanted them to see who really controlled it. I can't imagine living in this horrible time when it seemed the whole nation was given up wholly to idolatry and had forgotten God. It might even seem like that now here in America or in other places of the world. You look around, you watch the news, you see Hollywood, you talk to people and what do you say? Oh, you know what? They're all ungodly. They're all nasty. Travis, sometimes you might think you're the only one left, right? Everybody else is a bunch of heathens. I look at it. I can't even stand to look at that Facebook because everyone's so ungodly and they're so nasty and everyone doesn't love God. Yeah. Yeah, that's just what the devil wants you to believe. He wants you to believe you're all by yourself, that you're the lone one out there. Because what happens when you start to feel like you're the only good, godly people? Do you think that that brings us to a place of humility or pride? Your flesh will flatter you. You know, you're so strong. You're so capable. You're so godly. You're so holy. And you're like, that's right. Oh, I am. Wow, I look around and everybody's so bad. The Bible says we are not even to do what? To compare ourselves amongst ourselves. So in my subject of flattery, I didn't realize we were getting to flattery when I was hearing this for the first time. I thought this was about loneliness, but we'll get to the rest of this. So Elijah had declared before his great confrontation with the prophets of Baal. You can read it in 1 Kings 18.22. He said, I 
Even I only am left as the prophet of the Lord. Now, this was not true. But he thought it was. And even in the midst of this great miracle, Jonathan, that God was going to do with him, he was operating on some false premises. When God answers his prayer, as you remember, on Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal, which there are uh, 850 of them, they are dancing and cutting themselves and doing everything. And of course, their God is a false God, so he's not going to answer them, right? And so he speaks this quiet prayer to God and fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice, the rocks, licks up the water in the trench all around it. 850 false prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth. We know what God did. We know that the prophet told the people, hey, the Lord, he is God. Now go and kill all of these ungodly priests. It's amazing to me, it kind of gives you a picture of the time. 450 of these priests, the Bible tells us, sat at the king's table. Not the king of the Philistines. The king of Israel. I mean, if you ever look at the church today, you can get really discouraged. You can look and see, look, it looks like they all have gone after false gods and there's none good. There's just, it's just us, this little tiny group of people that are faithful to God. But that's really a proud way of thinking because God will have his holy will. Israel's king Habgag was married to the evil queen Jezebel and she wasn't happy. In fact, after Elijah prayed for it to rain and it did, Jezebel said, you know what, what, what was done to those prophets is going to be done to Elijah. And she swore the oath. Now, I would have thought after this great thing that happened in Elijah's life, he would run from Jezebel, but he does. In fact, you know, I just went to Israel recently, so it helped me. I didn't have to look anything up. I knew right exactly where he was and where he ran to. And he's in the far north of the kingdom up at Mount Carmel. And the Bible tells us he ran to Beersheba. So from Dan up north, up close to where he was, down to Beersheba, that's the farthest south. Elijah ran as far away as he could. And the Bible says when he got as far away as he could run, he left his servant and he went a full more day after that by himself. And he went in a cave. He trembled in fear. Faint and near death with fatigue and stress, he sat under a juniper tree and he asked God to let him die. And he said this again, I... Even I am left, O oh God, and they seek my life. Now the great prophet of God was false prophesying to himself about his state. I'm it. I'm the only one left in the whole wide world. Lord, just kill me. You ever feel that way, you know? You, I think some of you do. God made a cake to him, gave him water, which sustained him 40 days as he made his way further south to the Mount of God to Mount Horeb where God had given the law of Moses. And instead of going up on top of the, the mountain, Derek, you know what he does? He goes and gets in a cave. I would have wanted to go on the mountain maybe. Maybe I would have been, maybe I'd have been hiding in a deeper cave. Who knows? But God went there in the cave, and you can read about this in 1 King 19. And, and God says, what are you doing in the cave? What are you here for? And he talks to God again here in 1 Kings 19. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord. For the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They have thrown down thine honors, and they have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God was king to Elijah and brought him out. He was kind to Elijah, and he brought him out of the cave, and he took him up on the mountain. You know, sometimes that's what God needs to do to us, is get us out of our false ideas and bring us out on the top. And if, if you remember this story, it's an amazing thing. God's word passes, God, he says, the Lord passed by Elijah and a strong wind rent the mountains and it broke the mountains in pieces. There was this horrible earthquake. It was like the rocks that God had devoured at the sacrifice, Steve. He tears them up. He busts them in pieces. But the Bible tells us the Lord was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, and again, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, there was a fire. I'm sure the fire reminded Elijah of the fire that had come down on Mount Carmel just a few days before. But then there was a still, small voice. And I could preach on this all day, which I'm not going to, but where was God? Was he in the earthquake? Was he in the fire? Was he in all that? No, he wasn't. Where was he? He was in the still, small voice. 
Many times we think we need to see some great demonstration of God's power. But those are really just for us. God doesn't need those. He said, I've been jealous for the Lord of hosts. The children of Israel have done these things. I'm the only one left. But you know what God reminded him that day? In verse 18 of that chapter, he said, you know, I have 7,000 in Israel. Now, one in 7,000. Sam, what do you think? A little bit different in the, uh, what he was thinking left? There was left? One or 7,000, there's a little bit difference, right? So even though you were homeschooled, you could do the math, right? One is less than 7,000. Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth which have not kissed him. Elijah's point of view was way off. He was a wise man uh, in some respects. He was a man of God in some respects, but here he had be- believed his own flattering lips that he was the only one left. He was fearful and pessimistic because he had begun really to rely on his own strength and think that things were done in his own strength. Now, I don't know what you need today from this part of verse 1 here in the psalm, but some of you might need to be reminded that you're not alone, that God is at work, that God has been at work, that in fact, everything that happens to you according to God's word happens to you because it's part of God's plan. All things work together for good to them that love God. This was a good day in the, in the day of Elijah the prophet. He needed to know and he needed to be reminded that although God did great things through him, that God didn't need him either. Sometimes we think it all depends on us and we need to be reminded that God in his kindness helps us to not believe our own flattering words. Now I'm sure if Hebrew was my first tongue that I would have noticed sooner after uh, digging into the psalm that really the entire psalm was about flattery, but I didn't. I read it and when I read it I was thinking, what? It kind of sounds like this psalm is disconnected. There, it sounds kind of like, if you ever read like the end of First Thessalonians where there are these phrases, you know, pray without ceasing, do this, don't do this, and they're just these phrases that seem to be tacked on to the letter that Paul wrote. Because when I was in Bible quizzing as a young man of 15 and we were memorizing Scripture, one of the Scriptures I memorized was Psalm 12.6. And it was in the part of memorization that was helping us to remember that God's Word is infallible and inerrant. And so I had known verse 6 and I would kind of thought that when I read the Psalm 12 it would be a psalm about the purity and the beauty of God's Word because Psalm 12.6 says the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. And, and that can actually be a proof text people will use to say, see, God's word is inerrant and God's word is infallible. And although that is so, that's not what is being said here in Psalm 12. That's not the context. That's not the point of saying it. Because what is flattery but a lie? And what are God's words but true? Amen? And so we'll, we'll get to it first. As I said at first glance, it seems like that phrase, Psalm 12, uh, didn't go with it, but it does. And after reading and praying and studying, it seemed to be a contrast between the words of praise and encouragement and the perversion of flattery. Now, good people of God, beware of flattery from your own lips as well as from the lips of others. Flattery will get you somewhere, but it's not going to get you where... You want to be, how many are familiar with the term flattery will get you? Flatter, some people say, yeah, I knew, some of you would say, it. flattery will get you nowhere. And some people say flattery will get you everything, right? Or everywhere, whatever you want. Because it, both of those statements are true. Uh, in the short term, flattery is a tool that's very useful to manipulate others and get what you want. In another, in the long term, and in the picture of what God is doing, what gains you seemingly achieve by flattery are very short-lived. And with God, flattery will indeed get you something, but you'll be sorry for what you get. God hates flattery. Everybody say, God hates flattery. Now you might say, come on, Pastor Mark, in, in all the years that you've been pastor, you've never brought this up one time. You've never even talked about this. Well, I'm thankful I'm preaching through the Psalms. So flattery is when someone, now how many of you think you know what flattery is? You can raise your hand. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's not a word a lot of people use today, but when flattery is when 
um, is when someone says something to you that may or may not be true, but they say it for the purpose of manipulating you. Uh, it can be used, the word flattery can be used harmlessly, you know, in, a, in a, uh, a conversation like, you know, I tell my wife, oh, you look so lovely and beautiful, and she's like, hey, don't flatter me, you know, she's, you could sort of use it harmlessly. Um, but the kind of flattery we're talking about is not harmless. In fact, the Bible speaks against it over and over and over again. And I'm just going to kind of unpack a little bit of this for us today. So flattery, as it is defined in Hebrew, is when someone uses seemingly kind and encouraging words, true or not, in an effort to get someone under your control to get what you want out of them. Simply put in modern English, manipulation uh, by nice things that you say. Now, it's common enough, um, but it's a perversion that should not be active in the life of faithful believers. It's something everybody is, is uh, capable of, and even little kids um, do this. They don't have to be really taught a whole lot about this, okay? So now, I do want to point, before I jump into this, I don't want, to, I don't want to, you to confuse me today. I'm not saying that if you see that someone is a flatterer or that they flatter people, that they're evil and that they're unsaved and we ought to throw them out of the church. That's, that's not where this is going. The Bible tells us that we are the people of God, so we should act like what? We should act like the people of God, not like heathens. And heathens are really, really good at flattery. In fact, if you've ever met a salesman, as a rule, you know he's pretty much a flatterer. You know, you, you talk to him and you think, man, he really likes me. And wow, I mean, he thinks my house is nice. And he thinks I'm in, wow, he, wow, he likes my clothes. He's, he's interested in me. He cares about me. Wow. You know, only to find out, bam, and the hammer comes down. He really just wants something from you. Okay. As a man of God, one of my most important jobs is to help us understand how we as children of God end up walking like heathens and we need to quit doing it okay so that's here what I'm, I'm trying to do now in Ephesians chapter 4 I'll give you the scripture that teaches this it says verse in verse 17 of Ephesians 4 this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart their past feeling, they've given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him, have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, you need to put off the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which is created in God in righteousness and true holiness. We talked a few weeks ago about killing the king, the pride of life. Well, here's one way to deal a death blow to him, and that is to cut flattery out of your life and quit using it in your home and quit using it in the church. One part of this holy life that God has called us to is not to use flattery. You might hear the sermon and recognize this in yourself or your mother or your father or your brother, but... That won't make any of you evil. What it will mean is that you need to ask God to help you to repent, to break the destructive habit in this way of life and bring the goodness of God into this part of your life. When I was trying to explain this to my, my kids, which sometimes I do, I go through this sermon with, with my kids before I preach it oftentimes, there was a lot of confusion. They're like, you mean we can't say nice things about people? We're not allowed to tell somebody that, hey, I liked your sermon or... Hey, you look nice. Oh, no, absolutely not. In fact, that's what makes flattery so bad. Because when people say good things, but half the people are flattering, you don't know whether anybody means what they're saying to begin with. Flattery pollutes the church by causing us to not understand what people really are meaning and what they really want. You know, it's okay when we know when the salesman does it, but when the guy in your church does it to you or when your mom does it to you, that's a whole nother thing. Flattery is ungodly, and this is clear in Scripture. One of the most destructive things about it, as I said, it's a fly in the ointment of relationships and make they, they see us and they take the lovely things in our midst and they fill them with clouds of doubt. Flattery is perversion 
of one of the most beautiful things in the church, and it's the power of our words to help and to heal one another, to encourage, to stir up faith, to offer words of encouragement. Ashley, are they not? And I ask you because Ashley sent us a letter this week, and after I read that letter, you know what it did? It did just what you wanted it to do. It made me, it made me feel great encouragement, made my wife feel encouragement. We read it, and we were just like, oh, thank God. Thank God that you took the time to write the note. But what happens is, is when uh, these things get perverted, um, it really, really, really is confusing. And you go, wonder what Ashley really wants, right? Why would she say something so nice? Well, I believe Ashley was sincere, and I appreciate that. To be able to use our lips and our words as instruments of life, this is when we see the power of life in our tongues. James tells us about as he admonishes us to yield our tongue to God. Flattery takes the good and lovely things and twists it for its own advantage. And in doing so, waters down the currency of our valuable words to one another. It's one of those things very evident in the lives of little children and makes it an easy example of what is to be avoided. But the deal is, is that when it grows up, it's a whole lot more subtle. Your little one comes up to you and they, they say, uh, Amy, or they say Mommy to Amy. And they say, you're so pretty. And I love the food that you cook for me. And thank you so, and, and like, what are you feeling at this point? Wow, man, I've raised a good kid, you know? And, and they really love me and, and they really appreciate me. And you're feeling good until they go, can I have a quarter? You guys ever had this experience? Uh, yeah, Heath, Heath has had this experience. Now, Heath's kids and my kids, apparently the only ones that have this talent from, from, the, from birth, you know? They come up and we were visiting Dr. Halinga and uh, for our uh, reading thing and one of our kids says, oh, I love Dr. Halinga. She's so wonderful and, I'm, and I was feeling good about it and Dr. Halinga goes, they know I have a candy machine, uh, Mark, so don't get, don't get too worked up about it, you know. And so, do you guys, I mean, I may be more sensitive than you, but when, when you find out, Lord, that this has happened to you, to one of your kids, aren't you like, oh, man, right? I remember this happened to Luke. He met somebody and and he was telling me what a wonderful person and how much they cared about him. And I'm like, Luke, be prepared, brother. I said, I think the day's going to come when he wants you to sign on the dotted line or sell something to you. And, and Luke is a genuine person. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, Luke, just, I'm not saying I know for sure, but just watch out. And that's what the Bible says. When people come up to you and they talk and you go, oh, you're just this. And, oh, you're that. And, oh, you're so this. And, and, and what we want to do is go... That's right. That's fantastic. Man, I was singing pretty good, wasn't I? You know, I got a great voice. And, and that's the way we are. We're ready for it. We're primed for it because, of course, we love ourselves so much. Now, that's child-sized flattery. But when we get older, the stakes get higher and bigger. And the deeper the love grows between people, flattery gets uglier when you find out that someone has just used you by saying something nice. Big people want bigger things sometimes. Sometimes they want whole people. Flattery is praise, compliment, and even encouragement used for manipulation. And we, as the people of God, should not encourage this in our home and in our church. And sometimes they're used even when the words are true. These, these guys came up to the apostles and they these that have come to turn the world upside down, they've come here too. Now, what was so bad about that? It, this person, this was person was possessed with a devil. And of all the things the devil could have said, what did they say? These that have come to do great deeds, they're here, they're here. And, and the apostle turned around and cast the demon out of this woman who was using these flattering words. Flattering words work best when the words are true. A beautiful woman loves to be told she's beautiful and a strong man loves to be reminded of his strength. So a question to ask yourself today is do you use flattery to get what you want? Is that something you do? If you're good at it, flattery is effective, but God is calling us to stop it, no matter how useful it seems. Flattery takes on many forms and, and when it is exposed for the evil that it is throughout Scripture, it should make us think twice. We certainly don't have time to cover it completely, but I'm just going to kind of jump in real quick here. The Proverbs are good about these kind of things. They're very practical. 
Proverbs 2 says this, Discretion shall, Proverbs 2, 11, Discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the way of the man that speaks forward things. That means deceptive and deceiving things. Who leave the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice to do evil and delight in deception of the wicked. Whose ways are crooked and deceptive in their paths to deliver thee from the strange woman. Even from the stranger which flatters with her words. Proverbs 6, My son, keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother, bind them continually upon thine heart, tie them about thy neck. When thou go, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. For what? Next verse. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. The entire seventh chapter of Proverbs is devoted to saving the wise from the dangers of flattery. In fact, the Bible says, He that giveth gifts perverteth judgment. There are people who give things to people in an effort to flatter them. Now, it's not my purpose today um, to talk about what chapter 7 is about, but chapter 7 the whole thing is about seduction and how the power of seduction is wrought through flattery but I'm just trying to focus on the flattery itself my son keep my words lay up my commandments with thee keep my commandments and live my law is a light as the apple of thine eye bind them upon thy fingers write them upon the table of thine heart say unto wisdom thou art my sister and call understanding thy kinswoman why that it may keep thee from the strange woman from the stranger that flatters with her words. See here how getting wisdom and understanding from God's word saves us from the evil purposes of those that flatter us. Ephesians tells us we should grow up and not be tossed to and fro from here to there like children. Children are very easily flattered. If you want to get your way with a little child, tell him how smart he is and tell him how good he is. And, and if it isn't true, uh, you're flattering them. Most of the rest of chapter 7 unveils the seductive nature of flattery and how easily it can overpower men, foolish men. The main message is stay away from flattering words. They will draw you into doing unthinkable things. They will ruin your life and they will even get you killed. Flattery is no light thing. It's dangerous. If you condition your children to be flattered, the world will flatter them and they will do a better job than you. And so if you need to manipulate your children by flattering them and saying things about them in order to get them to do what you want them to do, you're training them in the ways of evil. So don't do it. Our lips ought to be used for words of life for one another. Amen? Proverbs 7 ends with a sad picture of what happens when we don't do as Joseph did and run from the hold of flattery. If you remember... The woman who wanted Joseph, she told him what a wonderful guy he was and how much she wanted him. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield, it says. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goes after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Proverbs 29, a man that flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it hurts and a flattering mouth works ruin. One of the reasons as people of God we shouldn't flatter is what happens when we begin to be able to manipulate people through our flattering words, we will start to hate them. It's, it, it is something that happens. We will see that, that they're easily turned, that they're people of low character, that they're foolish, and that their love of us can easily be turned based on how we use these words. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. We read uh, in Mark chapter 12 uh, about how they were flattering Jesus. Did you hear it? They came to him and they're like, oh, teacher, wonderful teacher. Now, was Jesus a wonderful teacher? He was the Son of God. Oh, we know that you speak the truth. Did Jesus speak the truth? Yes, he did. But what did he know about them? Matthew's account of this in Matthew 22 
says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out their disciples with the Herodians. Now, if you don't know the history of the Scriptures and you don't know who the Herodians were, the Pharisees hated them. And so, two groups of people that hated each other hated Jesus more. And so they got together and they came and they said, Let's, How can we deceive Jesus? So how did they do it? They tried flattering. Here's what they said. Master, we know that Thou art true, and Thou teachest the way of God in truth. Neither cares there for any man, for Thou regardest not the person of men. Now, what does the Bible say? We're not supposed to regard the, the men, right? We should serve God without respect to persons. All they were doing was complimenting and telling Him, folks, when people do this, beware. And I'm not saying when people are kind in our church, beware. I'm saying this is for you. Listen to yourself. If you are a flatterer, and if you manipulate people, this is not what people of God should do. This is the way of the world. I love how Jesus dealt with them. And, and I kind of, sometimes I deal with flatterers, even in this church. And part of it I want to go, uh, you know what you said is so not true. I love you anyway, but is there some reason, you know, you came and told me that I was the whatever, 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 when really I know you think I'm something else, right? Tell us what you think. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and he said, Why do you tip me, you hypocrites? Now that's not a very nice answer. They just told him he's a great teacher, that he doesn't respect other men's persons, that he always tells the truth. And Jesus go, Yeah, hypocrite, what are you coming to me for? I mean, folks, if you had seen this exchange, you know what you would say? That is so unchristian. Jesus was not being nice. To, well, of course he wasn't being nice. Flattery is not something that you should entertain. If you can't sing and someone comes up and sidles along to you and says, you know what, your voice is so beautiful. And you're going, man, I didn't think I could sing. You, right now, you better be aware because what's coming next is them getting what they want out of you. Oh, you know, you're such a precious person. Oh, you're so godly. Oh, just... Give it a rest. Just talk to me, okay? I don't... When, when you get a little bit older, flattery works a lot less easy on you, you know? Generally, people that come to our church and, and you know, we have visitors today, the, uh, the... Hold on. Runkle? The Runkle family. Now, you can... If you... I can't imagine you'll really like... This is not such a great sermon today, but if you happen to like it, don't worry, okay? But if I meet them and they say, you know what? You're the nicest person I ever met. This is the most amazing. You're, I, if they start that, I, trust me, just so you know, I got a little book and I'll be like, oh man, these people, watch them. I don't know, maybe they're wanting to, you know, I don't know what they're wanting, but, you know, they, I can't be the nicest person they've ever met in their whole life. They've only met me for five minutes. But, you, but I'm telling you, you meet people and they do this, and the next thing you're like, man, they're really nice. I like them. And you know why you like them? Because you think they like you. That's why you like them. That's, we're so vain that we're, we're primed for this. Jesus wasn't quite primed for this. Okay? Jude 1.16, when it's describing these horrible, ungodly people that God has His judgment waiting for, Jude 1.16, He described them this way. They're murmurers, complainers, walking about in their own lust. Their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of the advantage. So if you need a little King James interpretation, it says people that are bad, people that you better watch out for, people that are trying to deceive, and people that are trying to mess with your church are the people that are going to go, oh, Nathaniel, your brain is so big, and you're so smart, and you know everything about history, and, and man, your tie looks so nice. And you might go, aha, <laughs> nice to meet you. You know? And you go, well... They really think that. Well, it's okay. It's okay if you think it. But the Bible warns us over and over. When people say great swelling words, when people are always puffing up people and talking about how great they are to them, it is a warning sign that these people might not have your best interest in mind. Maybe they're just wonderful encouragers. Maybe they're just filled with love. And that's what we hope. And that's what we want in this church. But it's also possible that they're like these people. 
It also talks about this in the Psalms that we've already seen in our study, Psalm 5. David described the wicked and he said of them in Psalm 5, 9. Many of you have memorized this. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is wickedness. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. How many want to be like the evil? Nobody raise your hand. Don't do it. Don't raise your hand. Those of you that aren't paying attention, that's right. Whatever pastor, yeah, raise your hand. That's right. That's right. I don't want to be like the evil. I don't want to be a flatterer. Flattery will get you something, but what does the Bible say it will get you? What did David say would happen to the tongue and the lips that flatter others and boast that they will have their own will be done instead of God's? People flatter because they think they can have their way with you and in the church and in your life and beware of it. Here's what David said. I'll, we'll start with Psalm 12. I'll try to work my way through here quickly now that I've laid the groundwork. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. We know he's flattering himself, right? They speak vanity. Now it's them. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart that they speak. What's amazing here about flattery is that flattery attracts flattery. Did you know this? You, you may see this. You, you may find a pocket of flatterers in the church and you will find them because they like to get together and they like to go, oh, Jonathan, you're so nice. And Jonathan goes, oh, Pastor Mark, you're so nice. And then I go, oh, but you're so smart. And he says, oh, you're so smart. And flatterers, they attract flatterers because they like, to, they like it. They, and they, they kind of group and they kind of click together. Now, Jonathan, keep telling me nice things because I know you mean it when you say it. All right? <laughs> definitely, definitely not flattering. But flattering lips. And there's this whole thing, and I could do a whole hour podcast if you're interested to to learn more about this later, but th th there is a whole psychology and, and a thing to it. I'm total. I've been clueless to it, and I've been, I've been vulnerable to it. They speak vanity. Everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart, do they speak? Verse three will tell you what flattery will get you in the kingdom of God. The Lord shall cut off the flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. So flattery will get you somewhere, but not somewhere that you want to be. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. People that have said, with our tongue we shall prevail, with our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I rise, saith the Lord, and I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. You see, the center is the point of the whole psalm. It's found in verses 6 and 7. Man's words are not pure. Everybody say, man's words are not pure. Even the ones he speaks to himself, he flatters himself. He flatters others. He uses his speech to manipulate, but that's not what we're supposed to use our mouths for. One might think even to say he's the only one left, but he flatters himself. God always preserves a remnant for himself. The Bible says that God, that the gates of hell shall not prevail, that he will build his church, that he will have his holy will. Don't think it's all about you. His purpose will not fail to ripen. They always come to pass. He's not weak and dependent on us for his success. He's great and greatly to be praised. Others pervert godly speech by flattering words, leaving doubt among God's people and their motives. Kind, encouraging words now are suspect, but God's word, beloved, God's words are pure. God does not flatter us. All of his words can be fully trusted, and they're pure. This fact should draw our hearts to know his word. Brother Travis is memorizing... Uh, Romans chapter 1, right? And some other things. And as he goes to learn the Word of God, he should say, that's the Word I can trust. I may not be sure if Mark is complimenting me or trying to manipulate me or I don't know what. Uh, but you know what? If we could eradicate this from our church, we wouldn't have to worry about that. So help me with that. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, and thou shalt preserve them from this generation. For what? His words. 
For thousands of years, God has kept his word for us. He has preserved them for his people. My boys and I went to the shrine of the book in Israel, um, in Jerusalem, in the Israel Museum, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are kept. And word for word, letter for letter, perfect and intact copies of God's word are found that were found in the cave of Qumran are evidence of God's handiwork. Our own words and the words of others shift like sand, but God's work stands unmovable. Let's build our lives on this rock today. Amen? May we love it. May we memorize it and conform it to our, conform ourselves to it in every aspect of our lives. You know, it is my prayer, and uh, this is a difficult thing. Maybe you're here and, and you say, you know what, I don't know if I do that or I don't do that. You may, you may wonder about this. Uh, you may, you might want to ask some people that you know. What do you think? Do I do this sometimes? And do you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to find out that you're a sinner. You know that? It's all right. If Brother Steve goes, Pastor Mark, you flattered the pants off of me the other day. I mean, you know, whatever. We can encourage each other and help each other. It's not the worst thing in the world to find out we need to be changed. Our pride of life doesn't like it, as we talked about a few weeks ago. The pride of life can't stand it. What do you mean you're going to tell me? I'm a pastor. I'm important. I, I'm godly. Don't talk to me like that. No, God says that we're to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, that we are to contend together for the faith, that we're to help each other because we need it. And one of the ways that we can help each other, and I believe that's why God brought us to this psalm, is that we need to make sure that our words are true. We need to make sure that we are not flatterers, that we have not taught our children or employed it ourselves that somehow flattery is a good thing. We're not doing this on a, on a regular basis. Ask God to help us, amen, to remove this from our church. I know we have visitors today. This is more like a, a sermon we would preach when there weren't any. Uh, but we never can tell when folks might show up. So uh, please, let me read the psalm for you one more time. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 12. To the chief musician upon Shimonith, the psalm of David, help us, Lord. For the godly man ceases, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone, with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off the flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said of themselves, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord, and I will set him in safety that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. The Lord shall keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them for this generation. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 12 and for reminding us, Lord, that our words of encouragement, our words of praise, those are the beautiful things that we should indeed freely offer up and freely give. But Lord God, we can corrupt them by mingling with them, as it were, words of flattery. May our words be true to each other, for as your word said, the wounds of a friend are faithful, but even the compliments of the wicked, even the, the true things they say are corrupt and ungodly. Lord, we pray, Lord, today that we would be friends to one another, that we would be true to one another, that we would not condition ourselves to need the praise of men, that we would only seek your favor, Lord, and that we would seek to be conformed into your image. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Amen.